Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. And I'm Heather. So, Richard, what games are we going to be talking about in today's episode? Today we are going to be talking about... Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective and Mythos Tales, which are very similar to each other, and also a card game called Overseers. Uh, I'll be talking about music with Matt. And in Tome Talk, Richard's going to be presenting The Lathe of Heaven by uh, Ursula Le Guin. And in Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, we're going to be bringing another big issue of the day, which is with all the conflict between uh, fans of Marvel and DC, if we wanted to get their characters to get on well together at a party, what entrees would you serve? We have to stop the madness. We have to. And the only way is food. Yeah. It's the only possible solution. A nice calming dinner for them all. I like yeah, that indeed. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Heather, what have you been up to since the last time we recorded? Um, first off, me and you went to a spa. We did. We went to a spa. Um, why did we go to a spa, Heather? Because I've been putting up with you for ten years. Yep, we had our <laughs> ten-year wow. wedding anniversary. Ten years. I mean, look at these youthful faces. We've seen things, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been married for ten years, so we went to a spa. We also meant I got some really great gifts, anniversary gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather got me. A leather-bound uh, collection of the um, Cthulhu Mythos Tales by mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraft, which was great. She got me some other things. I had um, a biography on Leonardo da Vinci and uh, a very nice single malt whiskey. And um, Richard nice. and his sister uh, got me a, a really cool mm. illustrated book, the Game of Thrones Collector's Edition. So that was very much appreciated too. So we did that anyway. We had. Um, I got a ton of jewelry. So yes. Yeah, <laughs> Heather got me really good, well thought out yeah. gifts, and I just threw jewelry at her. Well, not literally threw jewelry. I just bought her a lot of jewelry. I won't mind. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we also had a game of Rex, didn't we? Yes, that was that was really fun. Who mm. won that? Uh, we had a allied victory, didn't we, in that one? Yeah. We, Unheard of for us. Yeah, Heather was doing really well in that game. She was getting so many cards, wasn't she? Oh yeah, yeah. She was the ones who get to when they get a strategy you. card, they get a new yeah. one as well. You were Letner, so, weren't you, Barony of Letner? Yeah. And her hand limit was double the rest of ours. So yeah, <laughs> they had loads of cards, <laughs> loads of technology. Was, yeah. That went. That was, that was good, wasn't cool. it? But you guys won because of an alliance, didn't you? Yeah. You made an alliance and then yeah, won well, because you had enough instantly. strongholds yeah. just then. Yeah. yeah. It, it descended into good. two two ally teams, didn't yeah. it? Mm. Yeah. It kind of finished really, really suddenly. We weren't kind of expecting it to finish so soon. No, no. Because nobody. Nobody on their own was anywhere near victory, mm. were they? No, it but just you kind of guys together, yeah. yeah. So that was mm. that was good fun, and um, I've been checking out some uh, and catching up on some new TV shows. So two actually, That's fun. both uh, in the kind of in the superhero comic genre. Uh, one of them uh, was Powerless, which is a DC uh, comic series. Mm-hmm. Um, well, comic show, and the. The premise of the show is about uh, a research team for Wayne Enterprises, um, and it's 
bit unusual in that it's a it's an out and out comedy <laughs> rather than and it's all revolves around people without powers hence why it's called powerless and but it's how the effect of living in a city with all these superheroes and supervillains going at going at it and the dangers mm. that can that can have um alan tudyk's in it he plays bruce wayne's cousin van wayne who's he's best head of the reason yeah he really is brilliant in that i mean the the series itself is actually very good but it's made almost completely unwatchable by um van Ho- vanessa hudgens character um the writing for her character and her a- actor oh. acting in it is just it's just awful um, but it's still a series that's worth watching, even okay. though she makes it almost unwatchable. Well, we don't really get to hear about the collateral damage and mm. what it's like to live in a city with the superheroes, because there's always a crisis, isn't there? Yeah. Every single time with them. So, yeah. We've also been started watching uh, Legion, which is a Marvel show, and uh, the character, I, I don't know if they're going to tie this in to the films, but the character of Legion in the comics was Professor Xavier's son and he's got this really amazing power because he's got um, multiple personality disorder and each different one of his personalities has a different superpower Mm. so his abilities are different depending on who he's being at the the time and um, having started watching the show it's it seems like it has a huge amount of potential uh, it's way better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was when that started. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, perhaps we should set the bar a little higher than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Marvel Netflix shows have been pretty great, haven't they? So yeah. it's it's more on a par with on a par with those. Yeah, like the, the more gritty Avengers, aren't they, those guys? Yeah. <laughs> so, although the, the series is starting to get a feel like a, a take on an X-Men without being the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because at this point in in the series you've got a house full of people with special abilities and uh, an older mentor that's guiding them and teaching them to use their powers so it's definitely got a bit of an x-men feel to that mm-hmm. richard what have you been up to um well uh, my sister was in the in the city with us yeah um as you mentioned about uh in the book and everything so yeah that's been really nice so that's been a good a good week um we it's been a very Star Trek type week really <laughs> we watched some Star Trek and uh, I also played Star Trek online as well mm. uh, there's a pretty good event on at that at the moment the Breach event which I always quite like but yeah just um, my sister Caroline is quite good for watching things with she, well she's really good, she's really funny anyway but it's good to watch things with someone where you've got a lot of in jokes mm. with them as well because it just um, if you like the programme anyway it just makes it funnier anyway so yeah mm. it's been quite it's been a really good week yeah. she did really well on rex as well yes yeah she played she my did favorite well ones <laughs> yeah yeah she went yeah when we played rex she was being the ones who all the money who run the empire yeah, yeah. so whenever we bought a strategy card we have to give the money to her didn't mm. we so yeah, yeah. she like that <laughs> she, yeah so she often didn't have many soldiers on the board but she had loads of money each yeah. time so i'm yeah. liking that one that pretty good. Yeah, yeah she did pretty well but she usually does well with games yeah. when she's plays games with us when she's up yeah it's just you guys with your sneaky alliance <laughs> <laughs> that's what lost it first. yeah mm. we, we only made an alliance because you guys kept allying you know <laughs> Yeah, we allied once, but didn't do that well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a it was a good game. It was good to see her as well. So yeah, that's what we've been up to. 
Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. <laughs> Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Quest Report with Matt and Richard. The next Quest Report is about Overseers, which is a card game. And basically, the object of this game is to have the most points in front of you. You get to um, pick your cards through drafting, which is um, what we were talking about last time with Inish, which is actually quite a good way of getting your cards into it, really, mm. because you're kind of half choosing them. It's not completely random. I do so love you, the drafting mechanism. Yeah, so you get to pick one and then pass the pile round uh, to your left, isn't it? And then pick another one out of the one that you get next. So yeah, you're you six, essentially, aren't you? you? And then yeah, and you're going to end one. up having five cards, and they're ones that you've kind of chosen. And what you have to do is put them out in front of you, three of them face up, and two of them face down. Now the idea behind this is you're trying to have the highest score, but not look like you've got the highest score, because what's going to happen is everybody then gets to put a little token next to the person who they think has the highest score. Now if you do, um, or don't, you can admit it or you can deny it, well d just depending what you think, if you have the highest score or not. And generally you can get kind of knocked down a peg really if you do have the highest score and you don't admit it, that kind of thing. Now the other important thing about this is, and it only lasts three rounds, so you do like three lots of this and um, depending how many points you've got, you take that many coins. So basically whoever's got the most coins at the end of three rounds is the winner. But you are a different overseer each round. So before we deal out those cards, we deal out these character cards, which are much bigger and the, they have great artwork on them. The artwork's beautiful, yeah. isn't it, on these? And each one of these different overseers will have a different ability to be used at a different time. So each round you are going to have one strange ability and it can be that certain cards will be worth more to you or it could be that you get to like, take a card from somebody else at some point or you get to choose a different overseer to be. Um, just things generally like that. So there are a few of those and I think we're going to have a talk about them but that generally is the, the object of the game and it's very quick and you know once you get past that first round the next two you just you really know mm. what you're doing don't you so yeah. it's very quick to pick up so um so that's why we enjoyed overseers we've played it both three player and four player haven't we that's right yeah, yeah. and i'd actually quite like to play it with um the full complement of players because i think the more players it, it is the more interesting the game will be mm. and yeah as as you were saying you we've got drafting in it which is an, a mechanic of a game that I personally really enjoy doing, mm. and it's quite good because say so you've got you dealt your six, you take you pick one, pass it on, um, but some of the cards because you're trying to do set collection as well, are only really valuable if you've got two or three of those cards. Yeah. So you could be looking at these cards in your hand and thinking, well, I want several of these right now, and you're going to have to decide whether you want to maybe go for a higher value card on its own. Or think I'm going to try and get, uh, for example, one of these cards, the Hope cards, which on its own is worth nothing, but if you get three, it's worth twenty-one. That's why it's Hope. Yeah. So um, you you sometimes you're taking quite a risk in what you decide to keep and what you decide to pass on. 
because you're always going to get down to having two cards and keep one and the other goes into the discard pile mm -hmm. and depending on the number of players you may have an extra card discarded anyway I actually thought when we played it with four that I, I dealt wrong because uh, there was an extra card somehow in the discard pile uh, automatically once we dealt six cards to every player it's just that there was meant to be an extra card that's discarded every round. Yeah, it you, gives kept, it... you kept trying to put it in a different yeah. pile, didn't you? So. Yeah, it was. Uh, it threw me out at first. But several things here. First of all, everything in this game is beautiful. You know, you've got a really nice cotton wow. bag, the red Apart tokens. One of, them. one of them is pretty gross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this one, Zia, uh, which I think you're going to put a picture of up. Yeah. But, but yeah, she's wearing a horrible mask. That's the only thing. I mean, she, she's probably very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's got a great personality. The, but the artwork, the design of the game is absolutely fantastic. I mean, when I when I got this, I thought, I don't really want to just stick this on a shelf somewhere. I want this on display. The, the, the box art is great. The character cards, beautiful art. I really like the way that the actual cards uh, themselves are designed and the way they look. Um, and the tokens. There's some quite interesting tokens here. You've got the um, metal... Uh, metal leader token that came with it oh yeah uh, the red uh voting tokens so it's whoever gets the lowest score in a round is the leader for the next one that's right this metal even token. if they're leading the game overall it's just whoever's got the lowest score in that particular round yeah um one of the things i'm gonna say this the kickstarter because i back this at kickstarter the kickstarter for this game offered as an add-on the sleeves for the cards Every Kickstarter should do this, right? Because it's a personal pet peeve when I want to get the, the sleeve cards, figuring out which sleeve sizes I need and getting them ordered. Having them yeah. turn up with the game was just brilliant. You've so, got these two sizes of cards, so it's yeah, good that you've already got the sleeves. Well, the character cards are more sort of uh, more in line with like the Dixit sizes, but probably a little bit smaller. So it would have been yeah, Dixit cards are massive. I think technically they're called that's card size. It's called tarot size. But um, yeah, the, the the artwork on this is beautiful. The gameplay is really fast. You only play three rounds, so thirty minutes, I think, would be more than enough, regardless of the amount of player count. Also, you get voting on in this, which is always a bit of a hit and miss mechanic with certain games because people tend to have their own reasons for voting the way they do. And for example, there were times where I. Um, thought I had the lowest score and I deliberately voted for myself mm -hmm. because if I denied I could then deny it I was able to take a, uh, after it was proved that I had the lowest score uh, take a, disc, a card from the discard pile which added to my score mm. you could use it for social experiments of yeah. people <laughs> just going along with the crowd yeah uh, so and it was quite interesting because there was a couple of times where I was the deciding factor and I voted for myself just because I thought it might give me a, a way of getting some extra points that round. Um, you didn't tell me if you did that afterwards. So yeah, I thought I'd keep that this quiet. This is the first time I've heard this. <laughs> so now I want to play this again. Yeah. Never vote for Matt. It put me in mind very much of uh, because of the set collection side of it, of playing poker. Um, the cards side of it made me think also of... Uh, Tiny Epic Western, which we've we've mm -hmm. both played and both both recommend. <laughs> There's only a tiny amount of set collection. It doesn't really matter too much. It's the numbers that matter, and 
you get to when you collect the set it's like collecting two of the same yeah. So it's not like it's complicated. It is basically no. about the numbers. But when I say set collection, I was thinking more just the fact that you are drafting to get these five Oh, cards. right, to get five yeah. particular ones. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. There is that set collection within the set collection where you're trying to maybe, if you decide to go yeah. for those cards, trying to get a set of the three so you've got the, the highest score. Um, mm. It's quite interesting as well. If you are voted as being the, the one with the highest score and you deny it, but it turns out you do have the highest score. Uh, you then lose the two cards from your set that round that would have that would have given you the most points. And your friends never trust you again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's in- interesting. But I say, whereas if you deny it um, and you haven't got the highest score, you get to take card uh, from the discard pile. And some of the cards do very interesting things. So, for example, I kept getting uh, a character one of a character card that let me uh, take greed cards from the discard pile or would let me just take an extra card from the discard pile anyway which meant if I then had the most greed cards in my set I was still allowed to steal a card so all of a sudden I'd go from having five cards to having seven cards at the end of the round Mm. there are cards that let you alter one of your cards to to copy another card Um, or as Richard says there's ones that give certain cards certain bonus points there are cards that right at the start allow you to go through the leftover character cards, draw three and pick one. So yeah, this Su Yin one makes because anger part anger cards are normally worth six, hmm. but if you have Su Yin, they're worth eight. So if you your two hidden cards are both anger cards and you've got this, then you actually get loads of points that they didn't know you had. So and, yeah, and you get player aids as well, don't you, for each player, which will tell you what the card values are and how many of them are in the game and these little player aids are really good because not only do they do that on the front they tell you how many cards will be based on the number of players etc but on the back it gives you a breakdown of all of the different phases of the game and Mm. it shows you as well uh, which part of that round you should use your character power in if you haven't already noticed and done so yeah because there's a symbol that matches up to yeah. what's on your card, so you know when you're meant to use the card. So I, yeah, I was only using that side of it. Was you? Oh, okay. But so what you were talking about then, that side, yeah, that can be really useful because if there's already like a load of hope cards out that you can see, you know that a lot of the hidden ones, you can kind of count up and see that it's very unlikely that there'll be any, because yeah. that that will be really what gives somebody lots of hidden points, isn't it? Yeah, and um, it's really interesting as well trying to work out right which cards do I want people to see because if I put out my high value cards are they going to think I've got even higher value cards that I've hidden Mm, yeah Uh, you know so you can there is a bit of bluffing element in this as well and it's quite a strong element and you can debate between you when it comes around to voting as to uh, who you think is going to likely to have the most points yeah, you can go and, and then you, you decide right who do I need to screw over in this round and how can I do it <laughs> yeah. mm. so but it's a really fun game it's as yeah. I say absolutely beautiful I think if you enjoy Sheriff of Nottingham that was one game I thought because of the, the bluffing aspect mm-hmm. or if you like poker uh, tiny epic westerns if you enjoy drafting games bluffing games then check check out Overseers what do you think, Richard? Um, yeah, I enjoyed the speed of the rounds once it really got going. Uh, like you said on the box, it was like 30 minutes, didn't it? Yeah. And 
we're always sceptical when there's got a low time on the box because we think yeah it would take us twice as long but it actually it was it, it was done pretty quick and we did enjoy it so yeah i do think this is a fun game that's easy to pick up so uh yeah i would recommend um overseers as well um and also i think we should play these games again after we've done this quest report because i learned so many of the tactics that you've been using <laughs> and uh yeah, I think we should do quest reports and then yeah, and then play it and then maybe yeah. do <laughs> you find out what some of my dirty tricks are. Yeah, that's it. And then maybe a secondary quest report of, yeah. <laughs> of whether these things work or yeah, or if you were just misleading me again <laughs> with telling me what you were doing. So, yeah. yeah, next time I'll be using completely different uh, git tactics. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I um, think as well it's worth mentioning. This is actually a reprint. I didn't know when I I uh, backed it on Kickstarter. It's a reprint of a 2015 uh, game, which was Japanese only. Right. Uh, that was called uh, Cheng Huang, Guardian um, Guardian of the City. Um, obviously the same designer. They changed the name a lot. Yeah, it's. I, I'm actually surprised they didn't just call it uh, Guardian of the City, but as That's opposed to overseers. overseers yeah. I don't think bureaucracy just call it that <laughs> I don't think really either of those titles really reflect the nature of the, the no game, do I they? just imagine that these I think it says it on the cards on it that these are the overseers yeah yeah these character ones are the overseers I think it doesn't it's just sometimes you see a, a, a game title and it really relates to the the game and the way the game's played and neither the Japanese name or the English name of overseers do that at all yeah. it's just we are doing some things <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's worth mentioning as well. There is a a game that's got, come through Kickstarter called Tao Long. Um, now with Tao Long, if you were a backer of Overseers on Kickstarter and you back Tao Long, you get a um, a free uh, cotton bag for the pieces for for Tao Long. So if you were a backer of this and for some reason you decided to see what we thought of the game after spending your money on it and having it on your shelf for months and you also happen to be a backer of Tao Long make sure you get your free cotton bag Alright, well this is going to be in the episode with everything else, isn't it? So they might have been learning lots about Consulting Detective <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so okay. you're backing that? I've uh, backed Tao Long, yeah So look forward to a quest report on Tao Long <laughs> In the meantime, folks, stay meddlesome Yes! Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeple's Alive! We're going to be talking about two very similar games, Mythos Tales and Sherlock Holmes. And Richard here is just reading the paper from one of the other uh, of them. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, I was just reading the paper uh, for today, March the 12th, 1888. Uh, I was going to read out some of these headlines, but I thought it might be a little bit... Scary to some if you live nearby. Is it talking about a fire in New York here? But I don't that hasn't. It's all right. That hasn't happened. That hasn't really. There happened. is no. no. Um, and there's a new polar expedition that looks quite interesting. So yeah, there's a lot going on in this newspaper, but only some of it is relevant to the case. And this paper comes with the the first case book for Consulting Detective, which is this game, a Sherlock Holmes game. Now, this first case is called the Munitions Magnet. And so it's a guy who has been murdered 
and his family have come to ask Sherlock Holmes to investigate it for them. Now this happened on the 12th of March 1888 so in this in this book the storybook of it you get the newspaper from that day and you have all that and we found that sometimes there is a quite a vital clue in there isn't there but yeah, pretty you hidden some digging. so just yeah. to give a basic overview of these two games because they are both very similar they're both investigation games obviously one is set in the world of Sherlock Holmes the other is Mythos Tales, so we're talking about Arkham and the Lovecraftian mythos. They're actually so incredibly similar that, I mean, I've described um, Mythos Tales as basically being Sherlock Holmes with tentacles before. They both have the same core mechanics of going to a location, which you do by reading an entry from the case book. Um, You've got a map in this case, you've um, both. This one is London, and for the, for Mythos Tales, obviously it's a map of Arkham. You go to a location, you read an entry from that case book. Um, both investigations are scored, so at the end of your investigation, you'll have questions to answer and be given um, a score for getting questions right. Mm. You can suffer penalties. Um, in the case of Mythos Tales for um, visiting places that damage your sanity in the case of Sherlock Holmes Um, actually in both cases if you use visit too many locations more than um, the respective investigators so in Sherlock Holmes if you visit more locations than Sherlock did and in Mythos Tales if you uh, visit more locations than Professor Armitage in both of those you then get uh, penalties on your points for having visited too many locations or unnecessary locations I think one of the basic things is that it's cooperative isn't it you were yeah. doing that as a group so we it's like we were all going to visit these locations and it's very much like kind of a choose your own adventure type book it is you can actually play them competitively as well mm. so you can uh, play all, all together you can play it so that um, you're all doing it competitively and you're all trying to get the high score in which case it's kind of it doesn't necessarily flow as well because what happens is is uh, the person whose turn it is gets to decide where you where you're all going to go where you're going to read. Now because you've got a limited amount of time, mm-hmm. if Richard wants to go to one place um, because we're playing it competitively, and I decide no, I'm not going to take us there. I'm going somewhere else entirely, yeah. which is exactly the kind of thing I would do. It probably is, yeah. <laughs> then. You know, Richard's going to be there frustrated thinking, oh, I'm running out of time to get these answers and Matt's just being an idiot and going off on the wrong direction. And, you know, so there is that element if you're going to play it as a competitive. But really, these games shine as a cooperative, as Richard says. We're we're all working together. I mean, it does suggest that each player would have... Well, one player would have a notebook to write down clues because Mm. you're going to need to review that at the end when you're answering questions. Yeah. but actually, what we did to make it more thematic, all of us had our own notepads. And mm. we're all writing down our own notes. Yeah, you end up writing some pretty weird stuff down. Because you yeah. don't know what's <laughs> going to be important later on. I did think if I suddenly died in the you know, in suspicious circumstances and the police decide to investigate and they find my notepad and some of the some of the notes I've taken on these two on these adventures, mm. you're gonna think some, I was involved in some really weird stuff. I think you in, you visited a lot of different embassies. <laughs> yeah. 
in the Sherlock Holmes one. Uh, and just like you can get the bo- the penalties for visiting too many locations, you also get um, bonuses if you visit less locations than the respective mm. uh, sort of chief That's investigators. Happened, no, yeah. both come with newspapers. Um, as Richard was saying and showing you there, giving you some examples of. And the newspapers will give you um, information. Some of it is just thematic. Mm. Some of it is nonsense. But mixed in amongst that are some vital clues that you may need both to help you with the investigation and when you come around to answering the questions at the end. Obviously, both are set in the distant past, although Mythos Tales is in a fictitious location. Mm-hmm. Believers, if Arkham was real, we, we would have been there by now, <laughs> <laughs> going insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I say they've both got the directories. Component-wise, the only major difference between the two is that obviously, as I say, you you can get penalties or bonus points depending on the amount of locations you visit. And that's the same with both of them. But only Mythos Tales gives you a, uh, something to actually keep track of as a game component so you've got a card and a token that you, you move every time you go to a different location from morning afternoon evening and then on to the next day whereas with Sherlock yeah. Holmes you just have to keep track of that mm, yourself probably in the, in the notebook in the notebook yeah we just made yeah. a little tick every time we visited a, a new location yeah, he expects more of us than <laughs> yeah. Dr Armitage does in that one yeah I would say that I mean they are very similar games but I would say that Sherlock Holmes is probably uh, a tougher game to play and to get the questions right to at the end. Yeah, well, I think partly that is the theme of it as well because in Mythos Tales, you basically you'll be investigating some guys that have been doing very weird things and reading an ancient book, and uh, there's going to be a monster turn up at some yeah. point, isn't there? It's quite once you once you do get to the right thread and you start following it, it's not mm. too difficult. Whereas in the Sherlock Holmes one, obviously they're all regular people. Mm. It's just one of them is the murderer, mm. and you have to. I mean, I think we figured out who the murderer was, all right, last time, yeah. didn't we? But some of the little details that it asks you about at the end, um, we hadn't quite got. I mean, we did the scrape past, didn't we? We, we did. We got it okay, but it's like you need to know. Like they need to know why he did it, and also, um, like the circumstances of some of the. Like the reasons for some of the evidence that we found as well. Like there was a, a locked briefcase, wasn't there, that had been mm. opened. And it's like when Holmes explains it all at the end, you think, oh yeah, it, it seems obvious. Like a lot like when you're watching one, Sherlock Holmes. One anyway. could say it seems elementary, my dear. You could say that, yeah. But <laughs> uh, but luckily uh, Holmes would say that anyway, uh, so we don't have to. <laughs> but um, yeah, because it ends up being something like the briefcase was found quite far away from the body, so it's obviously been thrown and there's scrape marks on it and things like that and it's just things that we wouldn't really have have put together into a narrative Mm. the way that Holmes did so a lot of the time I think it is a good way to test whether you can actually do that kind of deduction that you Mm. see Sherlock Holmes do even if you give yourself a lot more time than he had (laughs) like we wandered to a lot more locations than he did and spent a lot more time on it but that is the weird thing. Like he's doing it at the same time. Yeah. So it basically, it seems a little bit pointless in a way. But I think <laughs> he's meant to be training us mm. in how to do it, isn't it? In this, you're one of the Baker Bake Street Irregulars, aren't you? Oh, Street that's boys. it. Because you have another guy with you, don't you? Yeah. He's, yeah. I think as well um, with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it is more difficult in the sense of there's a lot more little details you've got to pick up on as you go along. Mm. But you can kind of work out 
from the start, right, this is where I want to go and investigate. And it kind of, you, you go quite naturally from one location to the, the next because you've mm. got different options thinking, well, shall I go here, shall I go there? But there's always ones that seem stronger. And we, we, we actually finished and we, we scored all the questions right pretty much, didn't we? But there were still other locations we wanted to visit, but we didn't because we ran out of time. Whereas with Mythos Tales, there are there are lots of locations to visit, yeah. but you don't necessarily know at the start more than sort of one or two of those. And mm. it can be quite easy to almost go into a dead end where you're thinking, okay, well, what should I do now? Where should I go? Even though every time we've played that, we've got really high scores. Yeah. So it kind of it leaves you more confused and questioning your sanity, <laughs> which is entirely thematic. Yeah. Um, I do think that if people are looking at these two games and thinking which one shall I get basically if you don't like horror themes if you don't like some of the conventions of the Lovecraft mythos just stay away from this one Hmm? Uh, because as Richard says you're going to get people reading from ancient books and weird stuff's going to happen and you know uh, monsters are going to turn up if you don't like that sort of thing just avoid this I know people who I would if I got this out and played this with them, they wouldn't like it. They wouldn't get into the theme, but would love Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Just like I've got friends who I think if I got Sherlock Holmes out to play with, they'd probably maybe like the mechanics of it, but wouldn't really get into the theme so much, yeah. and would love Mythos Tales. So it really depends on um, what your interests are and what your group's going to be. Now for me. And I think I speak for both of us here. We enjoyed playing these both very much, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, the this is kind of more original, obviously, mm. because like when you think of detectives, you immediately go to Sherlock Holmes. But I think, yeah, the Mythos Tale one, with it being a little bit different, and there's always going to be something quite scary in it. Mm. Um, I think I I would probably enjoy Mythos Tales more. But then we've played more of that, haven't we? I mean, you got that yeah. first, so we've been... We we just thought that we really had to do at least one uh, case in the Sherlock Holmes one, um, just to be able to compare mm. them. So, But we did enjoy that, but yeah, I think still Mythos Tales is probably a little bit better. And one of the things I like about that is um, it's all in that one book, isn't it? Yeah. So well, you this, like have uh, all different this. cases are in there. This is the Kickstarter edition, uh, which means that it comes with a hardback... Uh, case book so all of the uh, cases are in the one book whereas with um, consulting detective Sherlock Holmes they are, each case has its own uh, case book now yeah. if you had the retail version of Mythos Tales it would be the same oh, okay. um, but I, I I do like the fact that it is hardback and it's all like you you say it's all in the mm. one place yeah I think there are so this is the first case so we've done that one now so I don't think there's much replay value, really, unless you wanted no. to just go through it yourself and just see what places you can wander to. But once you've done it once, you know who yeah. did it and everything. So I don't think you're going to want to go back and replay that. Yeah, but there are nine more of them in here, nine more cases. So. Yeah, both uh, both of these games come with ten in the game, ten cases. Mm. Um, this one's fair, this one's re- relatively new. This was only out last year. Um, the original Sherlock Holmes was out in the eighties, I think. And this is, I believe, the third edition of the game. Now, there was an expansion for that, the uh, the West End Adventures, which came out 
1995, I believe, originally. But it's recently been been reprinted, along with four new Jack the Ripper cases. So with this, you've got uh, two maps. You've got two maps for this one. Uh, there is an extra ten case booklets, four which are the Jack the Ripper cases, and an extra six uh, which are the uh, West End Adventures. It gives you a new map, which I must say I was very impressed with. It's very uh, colourful. I think Is Richard's it? got that yep. over here. It's a lot more colourful than either of the other maps. Um, and I love the, the box, the way it, everything just slides out. I actually bought side. this from the uh, a website called The Board Game Hub. Um, and it was the cheapest place I could get it delivered. I think it was uh, about £33, something like that. But it was the cheapest one around. So if you want to, um, if you want to get the expansion for that and get ten more adventures for Sherlock Holmes, uh, check out the board game hub. We'll have to try some of those and see. If These do look different. good. I've had a little look at this. The component quality of this is off the charts. Mm. One thing I would have to say as well about um, Mythos Tales and the original Sherlock Holmes with the uh, with this edition and some of the earlier editions. There was a lot of typos, printing errors, um, and in this, if you are going to play Mythos Tales, look up the um, online FAQ and errata. Uh, one chap has very kindly been going through uh, the Mythos Tales adventures and making an FAQ with some of the corrections, and right. I avoided it for the first one we looked at, because I was worried about potential spoilers, but then I looked at it after we played it and the way he'd done it is he's made a document and um, when you're looking at the document everything's pretty much uh, almost white so it's not really difficult to see anything by mistake but you've got it in big bold letters if you go to such and such a location read this right. so you can actually go through that errata and um, keep checking back to that without getting uh, the spoilers which is what I was worried about but so, uh, you can find that on the Board Game Geek. It's available to download as a PDF. Overall, uh, Richard, what did you think of these uh, two games? Are these games ones that you would recommend? Uh, yes, I would, because um, it's quite... It is just kind of reading things with your friends, really, and mm. doing an investigation at the same time. There are not a lot of, of rules that you would have mm. to explain to someone. Yeah. I mean, it seems a bit weird to us when we first started doing it, but what you could do, if you had if like, you had some people around, you could do a Sherlock Holmes investigation, and you could kind of take the lead mm. in that and say, like, we're going to go to this place first, and just do it quite in quite a narrative way. Mm. Like, I know that you have things like... Uh, D6 and things mm. like that to, places to mm. go to which are like references on the map but what you can do is just decide like well I want to go and talk to the police at the police station mm. or the coroner or I think we should go and investigate the factory where this person worked mm. and then really if if your friends decide they want to go there you could just look up in the little um, what's it called the little directory mm. and then find where it is and and then you could just kind of do it like a proper story really I think it's this would be very easy for people to get into uh, Mythos Tales because of the theme not so much mm. I mean I really like it 
but I don't think I'd recommend that one quite as much as I would this one, just because this one's a bit more universal. I think. Yeah, definitely that one is the more accessible one for, for people. And, uh, and now, obviously, it's got more stories because you've now got the expansion for that. Um, I do think, as Richard says, it very much feels like storytelling as a game. It feels like uh, a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Yeah. Nothing, you're not really doing anything other than using your brain and thinking well where should I go next and, mm. and trying to pick up on the little details and looking at the map and looking at the paper and I love that, that is brilliant and having the um, the, the newspapers that you can go through and trying to work out what's going to be relevant what's not going to be relevant mm -hmm. it's it's all um, it's all really good fun and it's yeah. easy, you, as Richard says you, you explain it so simply, it's just you've got the book, you, just, you, you read the introduction to the case uh, you decide where you want to go first, and you make a note to say the the uh, the time, and you take any relevant notes that you want to take. Mm. It is so much fun, and it really does feel because you're taking notes in your journal like you are working a case. Yeah, you know. And one day, one day, we will outdo Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that we've got twenty cases to try, yeah. we've got a lot to try, to a lot of attempts to make. Mm. But there we have it. We have Sherlock Holmes and Mythos Tales. If you like them. If you like what we've been talking about, go check it out. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Sammy, Sammy Burrell, and you listen to The Middlesome Meeples! <laughs> Welcome to the Bard's Corner. This week we'll bring you some new tour dates and some new albums coming out. Okay, so first up, some uh, tour information. Uh, the first bit of news, the Iron Maidens, which is an all-female tribute act uh, to Iron Maiden, are coming back uh, to the UK again, this time in October. And actually this time it's going to be the first time that they've played outside London. They've got five uh, tour dates towards the end of October, only one of them is inside London this time. Um, also Hardline have got a single date outside of their festival commitments in the UK. That will be on the 23rd of May at Bilston. Uh, Eclipse are going to be coming to the UK as well. Uh, that's going to be in April and that's going to be in line with their new album Momentum which we'll be talking about later. And Enough's Enough um, are going to be playing in April. Well, uh, yeah, they will be playing in April, but also in March. Uh, the four dates spanning the 29th of March to the 4th of April. Um, so that'll be something that's quite interesting. I'll, I've got, I think, every single album Enough's Enough made bar one. So that's going to be quite... Many t-shirts. And many Enough's Enough t-shirts, yeah. So, which actually, when I first met, didn't you think that that t-shirt I used to wear by Enough's Enough was a political thing? I thought it was just really obnoxious, to be honest. <laughs> you wore it to meeting my mum and dad one of the first times. So, yeah, yeah, that was trying to set the tone. That was true. Okay, so that's the tour information we've got for today. On to the new album releases. Tokyo Motor Fist. Yep. Sorry, to I really like that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tokyo Motor Fist is basically uh, Mr. Naughty Naughty from Danger Danger, Ted Poley, and Steve Brown from Trickster. So imagine a, combina a combination of Danger Danger and Trickster, and that's basically it. It's very up-tempo, mm. uh, very catchy, very melodic. It's happy music. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple of my favourite tracks on there, Love Me Insane, yeah. uh, Put Me to Shame. 
So that is definitely two um, tracks that stand out from that album to me. That's definitely one I think is worth checking out. Another album that's out right now, as well as that, is Unruly Childs, uh, Can't Go Home. Now, Unruly Child were a big thing when they released their uh, debut self-titled album. We've now, many years later, we've got the original lineup with three on vocals. They've come together and they've made a new album. It's out uh, right now through Frontiers Records. I have to admit, I was very excited for this one, but yeah. when I listened to it, I was a little bit underwhelmed, really? to be honest. Yeah. I quite liked it. Yeah, well, there were some nice songs on there, wasn't there? There was yeah. one that uh, you quite liked. I think it was called Rain in Peace. Yeah. Sorry, it was called Point of View. I don't really know where we got Rain of Peace from there, to be honest. But, yeah, that was the song that you um, you were, thought was really good, wasn't it? Point of View, because it reminded, reminded us of being at the beach. Uh, that, as an album, I don't know, I just felt a little bit underwhelmed. It was a solid AOR album. There was nothing wrong with it. Everything was good. Uh, Free was brilliant as ever on vocals. It's just at no point did the album really grab me. No. There wasn't when I listened through to it. There wasn't a particular. Oh, I really want to go back and listen to that song again. Mm. That said, I listened to it about three times. No, it's, it's, like, it's more easy listening, isn't it? It's the kind of thing yeah. I can imagine having in on background. in the background. Yeah. yeah, when I was having a relaxing evening rather than blaring out the car, you know the car stereo as I'm mm. driving down the road or punching my fist in the air to. Now that was Motorfest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good driving track, I think, for summer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would be great for getting that on the car with the windows down oh, yeah. in the summer. Uh, but yeah, it's. I had to give that one probably a 7 out of 10. It was a good song. I say everybody on the uh, on the album performed very well. It was in no way a bad album. It just it didn't make me think, oh, I really want to sing this song or mm. I want to get this album out again but still a decent album uh, that's out right now another album that's currently out is Lionville A World of Fools now this is their third album uh, their first since 2012 I think the last album yeah. came out and it's their first album with Frontiers so this is very much in line with their previous material very good album full of really uplifting tracks mm. Really catchy, really anthemic. Uh, Lars Safsund, amazing on vocals. Uh, you know, Stefano Leonetti, again, very, very talented musician that's brought this band together. Really want to uh, go check that one out right now. That's Lionville, A World of Fools. Okay, a couple of upcoming albums now. Uh, these are all out on the same day, the 24th of March. Uh, the first of these, House of Lords, Saint of the Lost Souls. Now, this is their 10th studio album, and it really is a fantastic album, isn't it? Um, the title track itself is absolutely brilliant. The first single from that, called Harlequin, you can check that out right now on YouTube. This is a, a band that I've had a bit of history with so myself. So you like House of Lords, don't you? I yeah. do like House of Again, Lords. Again, many t-shirts. Again, many t-shirts, yes. yeah. In fact, um, once I actually saw, one of the times I saw House of Lords mm. live, um, you know how you, you get reports about pop stars and things that cancel their concert because they've got a bit of a sniffle or, um, you know, something, yeah. any, you know, really, really minor reasons. I saw James Christian go on that stage 
He sang and he played with a broken arm. He had his arm in a sling for the entire gig, but he, I think he'd, at the time, he'd, uh, he'd, a couple of weeks before that, he'd been doing some work on his house. He'd fell off a ladder, broken his arm. Still got on that plane. Very dedicated. Yeah. He got on that plane, he came to the UK, and he played that gig. And that is what I call hardcore. Respect to the man. Total respect. Um, so, yeah. Also, actually... I had a bit of a funny experience once when I was wearing one of my House of Lords t-shirts when I was in college. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to uh, college one day and I had to go to the reception desk for something. I uh, can't remember what exactly, but I went up to the reception desk and <laughs> the girl that was on the <laughs> on the counter. It's one with the crest, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was from it was the album for the uh, for the debut release. Anyway, the girl on the counter saw my t-shirt and went oh cool house of lords and i says all oh, right you like you like them and she says oh yeah i've always wanted to go there and she started talking to me about how much she loved house of lords and now started talking about her <laughs> about how, how much i love the house of lords and as the conversation went on it became apparent to me that there may have been some misunderstanding yeah. here so i said to her you do know that a house of lords is a band don't you and uh <laughs> She says, "Oh no, I, no. I, I, I thought they were. I thought it was, was referencing the, the Houses of Parliament." Yeah, but who, who are fans of Houses of Parliament going around with the House of Lords T-shirt? Yeah, you have to. No, no, you have to re- really yeah. be into hardcore politics to no. be walking around with a, a T-shirt <laughs> like that. So, um, funny enough, we didn't speak again after that. No, no, no. clearly there are people out there though. Yeah. <laughs> so, Night Ranger have got an album coming out at the end of this month on the twenty-fourth of March. Um, this is going to be their twelfth studio album. It's going to be available as both a standard format and as a deluxe format, which will have uh, a bonus track on there and a bonus DVD to go with it. This is celebrating their 35th uh, year together. And this is an absolutely brilliant album. Mm. Um, There's a couple of songs on there that just are so infectiously catchy. In your head all day. (laughs) They absolutely get stuck in your head. Genuinely, last night, I couldn't get to sleep because I had a song from this album stuck in my head playing over and over. Yeah, but you don't mind those kind of songs in your head, do you? No. <laughs> they are good songs. Yeah. That was that was a track called Running Out of Time, which is my favourite song on this album. But there's also a brilliant uh, single that they've got off that album already. It's called uh, Somehow, Some Way. There's, some, there's loads of really good tracks mm. on there, isn't there? There's Truth, um, Jamie. It's an absolutely fantastic album. Very guitar-driven, uh, very, very good melodic hard rock. Exactly the way melodic hard rock is supposed to sound. I think as well, it's one of those albums where, I mean, you know you get some albums and you pick out one or two songs mm. and you think, oh, I really like those, and you take those and put them in your own little personal playlist. Yeah. Um, I think this is one of those albums where you could easily listen to it all the way through without skipping through yeah. two favourites. Every single yeah. one is like those one or two songs. They're really good. Yeah, incredibly guitar-driven album. Uh, Jack Blades... Uh, sounds absolutely brilliant on this album mm. vocally. You know, we have to give them a big shout out. That one was a definite nine out of ten oh, yeah. for me. Uh, really enjoyed that one. Night Ranger, don't let up. Uh, finally, uh, the last album we're going to be talking about today is an the album by Eclipse. We mentioned earlier that they're going to be uh, coming to play in the UK at, in April. This is in support of their new album, Momentum. Now, typically, when any, you're talking about any band, the band wants you to say, 
this is their best album ever. Even if they've had huge success with their previous albums, you talk to any any band, the album they want to talk about is their latest album. And they, it's the one they want to play at the gigs. Um, yeah. It's what they want to hear the reviews on. Yeah, so that's really what any musician wants to do. Yeah. As, in, in most musicians' mind, they're only as good as their last album. So that's what they want to, uh, we want people talking about. Well, this time, this genuinely is their best album <laughs> ever. Um, from start to finished, it's near perfect, mm. or as perfect as any album can be. All the way through, it's uh, you've got real crunching guitar work, uh, absolutely beautiful melodies, catchy hooks. I have to admit, if we weren't already married, there's a song from this album that I would want played at our wedding called For Better or For Worse. I was wondering where that was yeah. going, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't like it that much. I mean... <laughs> But yeah, there's a absolutely fa- fantastic album. Mm. Um, this one is going to get a very rare Paradise Rock 10 out of 10. <laughs> Go check out Momentum by Eclipse. That's all we can really really say on that. Um, we'll be av- having more of a discussion on that on the Paradise Rock website. But if you want to uh, any more information about any of the uh, albums or tour dates that we've spoken about. Uh, if you want any more news, there's lots, lots more on paradiserock.co.uk. You can check that out right now. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Greetings, Quester, and welcome to Tiny Meeple's Big Talk with Matt and Richard. And welcome to Tiny Meeple's Big talk. Today we're actually discussing a topic that was uh, suggested to us um, by a, a fan of the show. Yes. Um, and that interesting topic of discussion for today is going to be if you were trying to host a party to help Marvel comic characters and DC comic char- characters to get along together, what entrees would you serve? Mm-hmm. Richard. That certainly is big talk. It is indeed. But so, first of all, um, <laughs> just thinking about what we actually mean by entrees, I think we've decided that that's just kind of starters, just yeah. just the starters of the food. So, um, a few things kind of come to mind. I mainly know, um, I know more DC ones because I've always, um, the, the comics I've normally got of Batman and the ones kind of, associated with that but like he's so posh I mean what <laughs> I mean what what does Alfred cook for him all the time I mean although he could he could like kind of like a change I mean I would think with the millionaire ones with that it'd have to be like caviar type stuff wouldn't it really um I I tend to disagree here because I think he is posh mm. but he's not really a tough is he he's definitely well, a lot of times, a man of the people. Well, yeah, but also like just vitamins and protein. Yeah. I think that's what he has. <laughs> there, is, there has been some references to uh, what the bat likes to munch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was a reference to steak. Now, Batman didn't say that steak was his favourite food. He did say that uh, cooking steak relaxes him. Right, so he'd want to actually cook it. He'd want to cook the steak himself. So, so he can get out of the kitchen. We are 
serving these entrees yeah. to them. <laughs> so that is automatically out. So steak mm. would be out. But he does, and this is where uh, my wife Heather would agree with him here. He's a big fan of nachos. Is he? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so nachos for, as an entree. People have nachos as a starter in restaurants, Actually, don't yeah. they? Or, that would be really or nice, Or in the cinema, crunching yeah. away while you're trying to listen. <laughs> Actually, I remember a... Um, yeah, crunchy nachos. <laughs> you have to think about who we're sitting next to while he's eating them. Yeah. But we'll think about that in a minute. Yeah, I read a, a comic a few years ago... Um, it was actually a Lex Luthor one. Mm. Yeah, that was one of my favourite little um, little series. Was Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. And there's a bit in that where he he goes to visit Bruce Wayne. And they're in this this restaurant. And Bruce Wayne kind of goes on this really... He kind of orders like off-menu and is really specific about what kind of salad he wants and all stuff like that. And I think he was just playing up to being Bruce Wayne and trying to annoy Lex at that time. <laughs> so I don't I don't think that is any kind of statement on the kind of way Batman would be. I think yeah. when he's being himself, he he would be a lot more down to earth, I think, like yeah. you were saying. So yeah, I think the nachos would be a good choice for him. And Robin can have a little kid's portion of nachos <laughs> next to him. <laughs> Poor Robin. Yeah. And actually, um the green arrow um, has talked through the comics about his love of chili, and we know that Deadpool loves all Mexican food. I mean, he talks about chimichangas, but he just generally loves Mexican food. So heck, having him at the table, <laughs> I just kind of think how great would it be? You've got all these entrees coming through, everyone sort of mixing, having a few drinks, mm. and then somewhere in the room, there's Batman, Green Arrow, and Deadpool all chomping down on some nachos together. Yeah, let's see that. See them together. Yeah, that would be good. That would be yeah. very good. So Plus, if Deadpool. you know, if if Deadpool kicks off, bats can sort him out. Yeah, he's well. The one thing you can be sure of is Batman has thought of how to subdue everybody in that <laughs> room. So maybe like, he can be the security. Really, yes, as definitely. Well. Um, other star, other starters. Well, there's the the Birds of Prey uh, team, which is the canary. like Black Canary, Oracle, uh, Huntress. Um, Black Hawk. So all of those have have got a thing about Chinese food, right? Okay. So you think about Chinese starters. So there might be some roast duck in there. Some yeah. Pr- sesame prawn toast. Yeah, something like that. They it can be like a sharer type thing. Yeah. Maybe. Hors d'oeuvres. But they there could be enough for some of the Marvel people as well. Because mm. remember, this is about them getting on. Yeah. Um. I think. Thor, well, Thor's talked about his love of popsicles, creamsicles, pop-tarts, junk food, generally just unhealthy junk food. I think when we think about what Thor would want to eat at a party, you kind of imagine like a a Viking just with a massive piece of meat in one hand and a massive tankard of beer in the other. Um, But he just loves junk food. (laughs) Well, he probably gets tired of that kind of stuff Mm. in Asgard all the time. Yeah. So it might be a bit better for him to... Yeah, be able to have mm. some junk food. So have some, yeah, have something nice and unhealthy for Thor. Actually, thinking about it, Zatanna as well would probably be quite happy with uh, eating with Deadpool and the others because uh, she actually used her powers to search fifty-two different universes for the ultimate and perfect taco. Okay, Matt's done more research on this. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a lot of comics mm. and 
Uh, my brain holds on to useless information fairly well. Who, who would have thought that knowing Batman's favourite food would one day come in useful? Well, yeah, I'm impressed. <laughs> so, yeah, if that was your goal. So, yeah, I did one bit of research, actually, for all of this, because... I kind of thought we could just generally discuss what type of food we thought people would like. I didn't really want to... Well, I thought it would be good to look at what they've eaten in the past, but they they might want to change as well. So. Well, this is it. But um, the one I did think about was Martian Manhunter. Mm. And I always just think it's funny in the comics when they call him John. It's like this big green guy hey, comes John up Jones. and they're like, oh, hey, John. <laughs> so, yeah. So... Um, yeah, and when I actually typed into Google, I started typing, what does Martian Manhunter? And then it kind of finished off the sentence for me, like, eat. <laughs> so obviously, a lot of people have wondered this. People are concerned about this. This is why it's made its way to Tiny Meatballs Big Talk. Uh, yeah, finally, everybody gets an answer to all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they said that there's not... Well, this is on the um, on the DC kind of wiki um, thing. <laughs> They said that there's not been really any indication of whether or not he needs to eat, but he has been seen to eat chocos, which is a type of cookie. So he can eat, but whether he needs to or not, you know, we can give him something. He can, he, yeah, he can eat with one of the others. He actually, um, when we talk about chocos as well, it is um, in it was changed to chocos. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was Oreos. But for legal reasons, they had to change it. So he started having Chuckos, which looked suspiciously like Oreos. But... All right. <laughs> so they're not allowed to advertise Oreos. Or was he saying they were gross? <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually was buried with one as well in, in one comic. So you know, his, his love for that goes very deep. Wow. Um, I mean, I think some of the... Let's give him Oreos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of the uh, Marvel characters would be easier to feed. Uh, one of the um, favourite foods of... Uh, Wolverine and Iron Man for example they both love burgers mm. with the works right. and uh, with a it's beer a to main. wash it down yeah as a main uh, Wolverine actually quite likes um, chips and dips as well so he yeah. might be that would be with, a good starter yeah and uh, you could see some of the other characters he'd probably end up having like some nachos with Batman as well yeah yeah probably would I, I mean, mean Batman sure Wolverine Deadpool and the Green Arrow with Zatanna all off in one corner munching away on Mexican food might need a few how share how awesome would that be them. yeah yeah, that would be pretty awesome although it's nice to have a few that are sharers but not yeah. too many I think if you were to add Wolverine to that group things would get a bit volatile pretty quick <laughs> yeah. maybe he'd be smoking a cigar and blowing it in their faces or something yeah. <laughs> maybe Bruce Wayne doesn't like being called bub <laughs> And it's uh, quite interesting as well, thinking about some of the foods they eat. A lot of them tend to eat very much what I call down-to-earth foods, the sort of mm. foods that we have when we're having a bit of a junk night or something ripped. like that. And they're all ripped. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fair. <laughs> That's probably what their one superpower is. Yeah. Metabolising. The exception to that, of course, is Superman. Superman is renowned for his love of beef bourguignon. <laughs> See? Yeah. So he loves getting on with some nice French food, though he likes to have ketchup with it. Right, well, we can have a bottle of ketchup there. That's, yep. that's not difficult. Well, no one wants to get Superman red. No one wants <laughs> him angry, do they? Yeah, just don't put red kryptonite on <laughs> What will probably come as a, as a surprise to many, following on from our previous um, Tiny Meeple's big talk regarding Aquaman and Cthulhu, 
it does seem that Aquaman's favourite f- food when he's out and about amongst people on land, he really loves fish and chips. Right, okay, well, you can have that. That would be fine. Well, yeah, you can have some fish as a starter. That would yeah. be all right for a starter. So that would be kind of okay. I know it does seem weird that he would eat, eat fish. But... It does seem like he's munching on his own peasants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we... I say we. People who eat meat do kind of... They are eating other mammals like themselves. I mean, that's what I was talking yeah. about before. So it's kind of the same level as Aquaman. Eat- well, he's a mammal as well. We're actually... What is he? ...different here, aren't we? Because you're a vegetarian and I'm a, I'm a carnivore. You've joked before about how um, your not eating meat cancels out my meeting. <laughs> eat meeting. Well, yeah, because you eat twice as much meat yeah. as anybody else. So. <laughs> it's actually... when we go, If we go and get a pizza or anything and we get one to share, we have like a half... Veg Supreme half meat feast or something like that. Mm. We get the weirdest looks. But... <laughs> well, Heather tends to have sometimes a half vegetarian. Well, she'll eat both, won't she? So, yeah. like... <laughs> so we can have two half and half pizzas, yeah. but both half meat, half vegetarian. Yeah. So yeah, that's nice. But um, yeah, so there is there's definitely some foods that they would um, probably all like in common. Mm. Um, and I think essentially, as long as as long as they've got some beer, some nice starters, mm. and then some, you know, reasonable mains, they'd probably get along quite well. Yeah. What do you think Wonder Woman would eat? I think that Wonder Woman... You know what? I'm not entirely sure what Wonder Woman would eat. I can see Wonder Woman with a fruit salad to start, you know, as a, like, a little starter or something mm. like that. And then... I think she would have something healthy. I think, yeah. I, I can, of the others I can very the much see them eating healthy and mm. and uh, sort of eyeing up some of the Marvel characters thinking I'm fairly sure I should be throwing some of these in prison uh, yeah but yeah. Un- until un- until the end of the party you know we're all good we're all good <laughs> yeah. and we all know what's going to happen next Deadpool's going to try hitting on Wonder Woman then you know Superman's going to get upset then uh, you know Wolverine will tell him to calm down then Batman will say I'm Batman and from there on it's just going to descend into chaos well yeah this is yeah but hopefully with our thoughtful choice of entrees we can avoid that kind of a situation this is it and then once the mains come out which is a completely different topic then I mean they'll all be getting along okay and they can all at least for that amount of time at least for that meal yeah friends I think the meal would probably have to include at the end some apple pie, because yes. you can just I can't, I can't I can imagine uh, Superman loving apple pie mm-hmm. because it's such an American dish, and uh, Captain America's favourite food is apple pie, mm-hmm. so you can just sort of imagine the two of them getting on, becoming instant best friends, aren't you? Bonding over the apple pie. Yeah, yeah, if we get, like, Superman's mum to make it or something, <laughs> then it'd be nice and wholesome. Well, if, if Spider-Man's there, his favourite food is basically anything that Aunt May makes. Yeah. He's, yeah, he loves his Aunt May's cherry pie and her um, wheat cakes, but whenever he talks about his favourite food, it's always something that Aunt May's made, which means that he just either really loves his Aunt May, or she's an amazing cook and will probably be on our catering team for this I think he's a bit biased. Yeah. I think he probably is a bit biased. Plus, he's probably not had the money to try out some of the same food as Iron Man and Batman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering, where where would we host this? Um, That's a good question. Which universe for, for starts? That's the start. 
first bit of the address. Well, maybe we would host it in a neutral universe. Yeah, I think that would be good. I think rather than rather than taking them to somewhere like Gotham and Metropolis or, you know, the Xavier Xavier School, maybe taking them somewhere that's completely neutral, mm. where there's no enemies that they know of, and maybe somewhere slightly dangerous, so that after they've been getting on for a while, they then have to join together against, you know, xenomorphs, for example. <laughs> you, you you laugh, but there, I, there is a Batman versus xenomorph set of comics oh, yeah, when the xenomorphs came, that, yeah. came to Gotham mm-hmm. and uh, Batman had to kick some alien butt. How about we host it in Eternia? Where that would He-Man be... Because I was watching some good. He-Man recently. Because <laughs> I... It reminded me of when I was a kid, and I did. I remember thinking at the time, but Eternia seems to have nothing in it. I mean, there's like there's there's Castle Grayskull, which He-Man is protecting, and then there is the castle that's got his dad in it, and like the few other people. So basically, they're ruling a load of mountains and like barren land. So yeah, anywhere there. Yeah, and that that was pretty much neutral. I mean, He-Man's there, kind of guarding stuff. Skeletor has a go at trying to get into Castle Grayskull every now and then, but you know we can leave him to it. This is it. Yeah, there's plenty. Of Evelyn space. could be there. Yeah. Overseeing the festivities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be yeah. fine. So um, that's the place. And another thing I thought of: would they get a plus one? Because like, there's a lot of people in those both universes. Yeah. Um, because I was thinking about like with their families, like we're thinking of, like Spider-Man. And it would be nice if you could bring Aunt May. The dog get along, and she could bring her cherry pie. That's what I'm thinking. Like, if she's, there's no reason why she should be in the kitchen, really. If we're kind of hosting this. Well, to be honest, if we invite Green Lantern, he could just make serving staff appear. Good, actually, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't really want our guests to have to work. No, <laughs> that's the trouble. So yeah, there's more to think about than you're <laughs> in all of this. I mean, at first I thought like, because Iron Man and. Batman both have the resources to be able to host one of these things, but you don't want it to be on either one's territory, yeah. do you? So you want a completely neutral opportunity for them <clears> to come together, get together, get on with one another, and maybe mm. maybe finally Marvel fanboys and DC fanboys can stop arguing about which universe is the greatest because they're both awesome and we love them both. Yeah. Although, that said, some of the latest DC films haven't been great. But that's why we need this entree. Uh, I think this, this is dinner. more for so the cheer them characters. up and get them get them on. I mean, we don't know who Affleck's going to shout at if we had him. It's got to be just the comic <laughs> the comic characters. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about. Yeah, not the, the comic films. characters, not the film universes. Yeah, God, it gets so complicated when you're trying to make, just bring people together. Who <laughs> <laughs> would have thought that this question would have evolved into such a conversation? Mm. So there we are. That's Tiny Meeple's Big Talk has finally answered the, the age-old question, which entrees would you serve to Marvel and DC characters to help them get along? So we thank our listeners uh, for that recommendation. If you've got any topics that you'd like us to discuss or you'd like us to ramble on about for a good 20 minutes, feel free to email me, matt at meddlesomemeeples.com and we'll, we'll consider using that in an upcoming episode. Yeah, we'll consider if we know enough about it and yeah basically we're trying to be meddlesome really i mean it's pretty meddlesome to make them get on with each other and to, I mean, it's all falling into my evil plan yeah yes. yeah it is we'll decide if it 
fits in with the evil plan or not, <laughs> and then we may or may not discuss it. So. Yeah. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. So welcome to this episode of Tome Talk. Last time I spoke about the Caiaphas Cain books, this time Richard's got a book for us to share. Richard, <laughs> tell us about it. Okay, well this is Lathe of Heaven by Ursula Le Guin. And it is a classic sci-fi uh, novel, although Ursula Le Guin uh, did tend to do a lot of fantasy ones as well. Uh, one of hers was The Tales of Earthsea, which um, I've seen as the Studio Ghibli uh, version of that uh, that film. So, But this one is uh, classic sci-fi, and it's actually in the style. Well, it's kind of very reminiscent of books by Philip K. Dick. And... By that, I mean she creates a very kind of detailed futuristic world, but then tears it down. <laughs> and that is very much something that Philip K. Dick did a lot because a lot of his novels were all about um, kind of insanity or the reality changing and you're not really knowing what's happening. So this book a very similar topic and it's actually about someone in the future called George Orr and he gets forced to go to a psychiatrist because he has been taking drugs to keep himself awake and the reason he's been doing this is because he is afraid to go to sleep and the reason for that is that when he dreams he changes the world and it can be in some quite major ways. Now, I don't want to, there to be any spoilers, so I'll just tell you about the first time, the, well, the incident that he speaks about being the first time that he noticed the world changed when he dreamed. And this was when there was a woman living um, with him at his house, or like a woman, I think she was a member of the family, older than him anyway. And she kept being quite forward with him, like making kind of advances on him. And it made him very uncomfortable. And basically he wished her away. And when he went to sleep that night, he had a dream that this woman had died in a car accident. And it was very vivid. And he remembered his mum getting the telegram and crying and him feeling sorry for his mum. But then when he woke up, he found that she had died in a car accident. And not only was she gone, but it had happened six weeks ago. So when he had gone to sleep that night, she'd been alive. But when he woke up in the morning, she had been dead for six weeks. And he had the memories of that as well. So obviously this was very scary for him. He went to the psychiatrist to try and get it sorted out so that he could have normal sleep, normal dreams that don't change the world. And really, it kind of carries on in much kind of the world changed in much bigger ways um, as it goes on um, and one interesting aspect of it is that the psychiatrist is actually hypnotizing him and kind of suggesting different dreams that he might have just to kind of test these things it's meant to be his treatment but then each time Mr. Wall goes to the psychiatrist the psychiatrist um, has become a little bit more important has a slightly nicer office yeah. um, <laughs> I think he ends up like being in charge of the World Health Organization or something like that. And 
so yeah, you can see that sort of thing a bit underhanded is going on, but um, yeah, which actually makes me respect the psychiatrist even more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, he is a very good character, actually. So yeah, as far as characters go in um, in classic sci-fi, a lot of them are quite decisive mm. people, aren't yeah. they? And yeah, this this is no exception, really. So yeah, there's a lot in here because of the different concepts that turn up. Um, drawing the, the different ways that the world can be, depending on which way you dream it, which changes that you that he enacts um, during these times when he has these dreams that affect reality. So, yeah, it's just a bit of a more uh, interesting take on a, a classic sci-fi. Because rather than being about concepts about technology that could be invented or different types of um, like ethical dilemmas. I thought it is kind of ethical, but there's just a lot of um, psychological themes in there. So that's why I thought this was quite an, an interesting book for for that reason. And you also find out a few things, didn't you? When you yeah, were... actually, one of the things that um, kind of amused me a little bit uh, more than it should have done was the fact that the title of the book, The Lathe of Heaven, it actually was inspired from something in a in a book by Chuang Tzu. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it turned out to be a mistranslation because there were no lathes in heaven at the mm. time of Chuang Tzu so yeah. it, it was should have been titled something else really but um, or, but yeah there was, there's was there been a few adaptations of this book uh, there was one back in 1980 that was with uh, PBS called The Lathe of Heaven and that was in that one Le Guin herself was actually involved in mm. in this so she was quite happy with the way it went, and um, but then there was a later version in two thousand two which she wasn't involved in, um, which, from uh, from all accounts, disregards a lot of the plot and some of the characters as well. So mm. it wasn't as uh, as faithful to the original book. Yeah, and then you you find there was a, a theatre version as well, didn't That's you? Yeah. Right. It, uh, there was a there was a stage adaptation of this, and that ran through. The month of June in 2012, and that was in New York City. One of the mm. uh, New York theatres ran that. Yeah. So it's been adapted a few times. Um, yeah. And as soon as you told me about that theatre thing, I thought that would work really well with this. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that I think would could almost have most of the of the play just him and the the therapist, couldn't you? Yeah. And um, then just describing how the worlds change each time and freaking yeah. out about it. Yeah. Maybe, but, we, maybe we would have to do an adaptation one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meddlesome play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this um, it's definitely one that uh, I think we we said um, we both would would enjoy. Um, yeah, well, and, I did enjoy it. I was yeah. kind of I was reading it when you came up with the idea of us doing Tone Talk, which is quite a a few months ago, and we were planning on on being meddlesome meeples. So. And, and as soon as you talked about us talking about a book each week, each time, I mean, I thought I do want to talk about this one because I was enjoying it at the time. And one part of of this kind of a um, what well, kind of a genre is that there's so many different concepts mm. in it. Because like with uh, Philip K. Dick books, with them changing reality so often, you get so many different concepts in the same book normally this would have to be divided up yeah. into a few different short stories but it can be the same narrative with the same characters getting 
kind of even them, themselves changed with each uh, different iteration of how the how the world is and I thought she did it very well and there was some quite interesting like social commentaries that come through the mm. book as well wasn't there with without um going into spoilers mm. there was some very interesting things that happen as a result of his dreams with regards to race for example yeah 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 that's it yeah i can't really say what, exactly what it was without there being no. spoilers that's the trouble because it's a bit late on in the book but yeah it's yeah that is quite an interesting uh little exploration that there mm. is in in that chapter of the book so yeah i would um recommend it for classic sci-fi it might be one that you uh, haven't actually read and i do hope to in my um my sections of uh, tome talk uh, talk about some more sci-fi including classic sci-fi which i'm mm. wanting to um, get to read a bit more of because there are so many uh, different concepts mm. available and you can see kind of where they came from as well yeah. because a lot of the time in modern sci-fi it will be um although obviously the technology will be a little bit different because obviously we've got more now than could have been envisioned back like in the 50s and 60s and mm. 70s but um a lot of the the core concepts have been around for mm. decades haven't yeah. they really so it's good to see where they came from i do think that the more you read classic sci-fi the more you appreciate the modern science fiction genre because mm. you can see where a lot of the inspiration for for uh, films and books and the ideas of those came from mm. um, you know you think about Asimov Asimov has had such a huge influence over mm. sci-fi yeah um, one of the things though about Tome Talk as well we were saying earlier was we both tend to read even when we like the same genres because we're both big fans of science fiction but we tend to read very different books within that genre. Yeah. I think one of the few areas where we have real genuine crossover is that we're both huge fans of Terry Pratchett's Discworld books. Yeah. Um, mm. Beyond that, we tend to read very much uh, different things a lot of the time. Though yeah. we would probably like what each other reads, but we just—it's yeah. such a huge genre that it's—it's it's good to have different perspectives. But that does help for Tome Talk. That does. That because does. Because we can talk about a wider variety of books. So. Yeah. So that is this week's Tome Talk. So thank you for joining us for that. And um, Matt will have a book next time to talk about. So until then, stay meddlesome. Richard approves. What about you? Tell us what you think in the comment section below. <laughs> so that was uh, episode two of the Meddlesome Meeples. Thank you very, very much for joining us. If you want to um, find out more about us, go to meddlesomemeeples.com and you can also get this either as a podcast or watch our episodes or even the individual sections of the show on our website. And we hope that we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Stay, Bye. And stay meddlesome. Yes. Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Greyskarn the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples. Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.